0: Hey, everyone. This is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you enjoy the Bumps and Thumps podcast. In order to continue to get the guests on and improve our podcast, we need support from listeners like you. That financial support helps us continue to do the podcast and get guests on that we normally would not be able to get on the show. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N, Dot ferguson f-e-r-g-u-s-o-n and the number three after and click on the support button. There will be options there for you to make a monthly contribution. With your contribution, we can continue to conduct the podcast and ask more well-known wrestlers from the past and present that require financial compensation to be on the podcast. Again, please go to anchor.fm forward slash brian b-r-i-a-n dot ferguson f-e-r-g-u SON in the number three and click on the support button. Thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for your support. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps Talk of Wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today started his career in 2006 on the independent pro wrestling circuit as a wrestler and a promoter. He was a two-time Universal Wrestling Federation 2006 heavyweight champion, two-time 3DW violent division champion, (laughs) and and a two-time Insane Wrestling Revolution heavyweight champion and part of the tag team known as the Dynasty. He retired from the ring in 2017. He is currently the founder and CEO of World Class Pro Wrestling Promotion. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome Mr. Jerry Bostic. Jerry, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Ryan, my
1: pleasure. You know, I'm actually not
0: retired from the ring. I
1: actually, I think I've retired probably five times, but it's... (laughs) I always say it's like the mafia. Like you really can't leave. I actually wrestled in October Oh we'll my gosh. that on Eric Embry. Apparently I'm like the emergency player. You know, somebody needs to get in the game, like get in the game, kid. You haven't yeah. you haven't played forever, but get in the game right now and just do it.
0: <laughs> that's great. Well, Hey, at least you have the ability to do that because some guys, once they retire, it's, you know, that's, that's it. I mean, they can't do it for physical reasons or whatever. It's just, you know I'm very
1: blessed to be able to even attempt to wrestle at the age of 40 so you know god has, well, god has been good to me
0: that's great I, I i understand that so well let's get started a little bit uh growing up uh where did you grow up uh what was your family life like uh, any schooling if you went to college or anything like that or
1: Well, uh, I grew up in a small town called Long Grove, Oklahoma, which is right outside of Ardmore, Oklahoma, which is still a small town, but it's bigger than Long Grove. Ardmore (laughs) is um, approximately uh, an hour and a half between Dallas and Oklahoma city off the interstate both ways. Okay. And so, you know, it enables, it's a good thing promoting wise, because it enables me to run Oklahoma city. That area is easy as it is for me to run Dallas because neither Mm -hmm. one are too far. Okay. And, uh, You know, I I had a really good life growing up. My parents, uh, great parents. I think they got a divorce when I was in the third or fourth grade. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it was odd because I was really young at that age. But even then, I kind of understood because they're like total polar opposites of each other. (laughs) And it was a miracle to me. Like, or you know, I just never understood how they were together in the first place. (laughs) And they always did really right by me, even though they got a divorce. Like, I never saw them argue.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, it was an easy transition, you know. Because, you know, at that age, I I just kind of got it. But, um, you know, I remember falling in love with wrestling at a very young age. I was flipping through the channels one day and I saw this big, muscled up, blonde-headed guy. And Hulkamania ran wild in my life to this day. And, and, you know, my son's even named after Hulk Hogan. Uh, His middle name is Hogan. I I was nice enough to make it his middle name so people didn't have to know. And, uh, you know... Hogan had a huge impact on my life. Sting did. Uh, I loved Lex Luger. Whenever I do wrestle on occasion, I wear pink and black for Bret Hart. Uh, Okay. You know, wrestling, I always wanted to be either an athlete or a wrestler. And uh, I'm a slightly better wrestler than I'm an athlete, but neither one of those are going to get me anywhere I need to go. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I was very simple, man. You know, I loved wrestling. I loved uh, G.I. Joe I love, I love to watch uh, movies and television. You know, I was just your average kid, love video yeah. games, stuff like that. Uh, I graduated from Long Grove High School. Uh, I attempted college one year, but I always tell the story. You know, um, you know when if, if I went to college with my friends, which was kind of a mistake. You know, I I could have went to uh, OU or a college like that, but I chose not to. I chose to go to a small school with them, and. Uh, that was the first time, you know, we'd ever been out on our own. And, uh, you know, we used to play a lot of video games and we loved the college football video game. And if you went to class, they would skip your games. And so, you know, in my mind, I always related to, would you rather go to class or would you rather win national championships? And every single time I'm going to pick national championships. The college wasn't necessarily the best thing for me. You know, out of college, um, I worked for an entertainment chain called Hastings Entertainment. There was about 150 of them across the United States. They were based out of Amarillo, Texas. And, uh, you know, honestly, it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me at that time. I worked there for 12 years until the age I was 30, until the age of 30. And um, I couldn't do what I've done in wrestling without working for them. They were so good. To me. I started off as a cashier, and I think I had my first management position, position with them when I was like 20, 21. Um, I was over the video department. And eventually I ran every single department in that store and uh, ended up running uh, three stores for them at, at one time. Actually, I, wow. I ran wow. mine and then oversaw a couple of others. And so I was kind of like right under, um, you know, corporate management by the time I left there. Um, and, you know, I had started wrestling, I actually had my first wrestling show while I was working at Hastings. They did not have cameras back in the day. And me and my friends decided we were going to put on a wrestling show on some futon mattresses. We had a ladder match with a Walmart title belt hanging from the ceiling. We catered free McDonald's for people. And we threw each other through uh, store displays and some other stuff. (laughs) And we had like 50 people there. It was kind of crazy at the time. Yeah, that's awesome. And from there, you know, I was still actually working at Hastings when I ran my first show. You know, uh, one of my dearest friends, Derek Prentice, He's a huge wrestler. And you know, for I went, I actually went a couple of years without even watching wrestling. Uh, I told Eric Bischoff the story in person because he's worked, for, worked with me a couple of times.
2: Mm-hmm. Friend
1: of mine. He's helped me, counseled me, vouched for me, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, whenever Hogan turned heel initially with the NWO, I quit watching wrestling for like three years.
2: Oh. I was so mad.
1: <laughs> and even at that point, you know, like I knew it was a work. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, you know, like I could not fathom Hogan being a bad guy. So I actually missed a lot of the Monday night wars initially. I had to go back and watch them. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I told Eric Bischoff that story, he's like, are you kidding me? I was like, no, he got such a good laugh out of that. <laughs> and, you know, one day we were at work and I told my buddy, I was like, we should be wrestlers. And, you know, keep in mind, it's like 2005, obviously the internet it's not as evolved as it is today. There was no zoom or anything like that back then, as yeah. you know. Yeah. And, uh, He's like, how are we going to do that? I was like, I don't know. We'll look it up on the internet. And so, no lie, we looked it up on the internet back then, and there was a training school in Oklahoma City. And uh, I was trained by Al Farad, uh, Travis Sanchez, and a lady named Dana. And me and my buddy, we drove to Oklahoma City every week for a year. Wow. And, uh, you know, initially they worked for this place called uh, Sooner-something Championship Wrestling. I don't know why I can't remember. And uh, that's the first time I ever met a famous wrestler, too. Honky Tonk Man was on one of their shows. And oh, I, met wow. him in, I met him randomly in the bathroom. <laughs> and uh,
2: he,
1: I think he was getting, if my memory serves me correctly, I think he was getting changed in the bathroom. It was kind of odd. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, he was, he was a nice guy to me at that time. And, uh, you know, after that, uh, my trainer, Al, he had a falling out with them, So we had nowhere to go. And next thing you know, we're in this girl named Dana's backyard. And Dana is a sweetheart. She, us, she had her own little ring in the backyard and we trained and trained and trained. And, uh, you know, it's odd. I don't think a lot of people's journeys start off with promoting and wrestling at the same time. No. And, uh, you know, I had, I was so young and naive. I think I was about 25 at the time. And I thought that if you had a massive card of well-known people, that people would magically know about it and they would show up. And, I mean, it was a massive card. You know, I think the the main event was Lex Luger in one of his final matches. And uh, Buff Bagwell versus Jeff Jarrett and Scott Steiner. Uh, New Jack was on this show. Uh, At the time, Natalia Neidhart, uh, it was the biggest match she'd ever had. It was a triple threat match between her, Christy Hemme, and Gail Kim. And Molly Holly was the special guest referee. Dr. Death Steve Williams was on this show. New New Jack, the notorious New Jack. Uh, May he rest in peace. But after that show, I never used him again, and would never even consider using
0: him. Oh wow!
1: (laughs) Uh, It was yeah. He was very interesting. You know, at that time, uh, getting into the wrestling business and being naive is very hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I remember my stepdad was running the music the first show, and New Jack goes up and tells him play his entrance music all match long, mm. and he gave him the explicit version of his song Oh no. so natural boring killers the explicit version is playing throughout his entire match after the match and it's a bloodbath after yeah. the match he proceeds to get on the mic and start cussing out vince mcmahon like he's going to magically hear this promo <laughs> and i remember standing in the tunnel uh and it was wild to me because my first wrestling show was actually in the same Coliseum where I saw wrestling live for the first time. I had saw the Von Erics, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Stunning Steve at the time, Chris Adams. Uh, they, they all came to Ardmore periodically. And so it was the same place that I saw wrestling for the first time. Me and Jeff Jarrett were sitting in the tunnel and he apologized for how New Jack acted. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. Uh, Rhino was on that show. Our truth was on that show. Wow. Ron Killings. Trying to think of who else was Buff Bagwell. I said Buff Bagwell. Uh, yeah. It was a very star-studded show for somebody that had no business or didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. Jeff Jarrett at the time was the NWA champion, so that the NWA champion was on the show, the TNA champion, and uh, wow. you know, it was a massive learning experience. And it was kind of funny after that. You know, I didn't. I continued to run smaller shows in my hometown. Never left. I uh, eventually blew my knee out, a uh, combination of wrestling, dancing, and flag football. Sometimes those three don't go together. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> after that, I took a short break from wrestling. And, I, and you know, there's, there's many times, like, you can think you can, you, you can be done with it. But it's a very hard thing to be done. You know, yeah, It's not a, not your typical job. And almost everybody that does wrestling loves it. Yeah. You know, there's the select few that didn't really love it that got into it, you know, like Sting, Ultimate Warrior. A few people here and there. But most of us in it love it. Mm -hmm. when you love something it's hard to leave (laughs) yeah and and, you know so we started um IWR which became world-class later on we actually started that in 2016 and so we're um, running on our fifth year this year of this promotion Mm -hmm. and uh, you know whenever I came back to it I just knew that if I was going to do it I was going to leave everything on the table whether it be good or bad yeah and it's been the extreme end of both of those things
2: yeah, You know, I,
1: I, God has blessed me to be able to do more than I ever thought possible. If there was a bucket list of everybody that I grew up watching that I wanted to work with, I think I've yeah. checked almost all of those boxes except hope. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, in, in that sense, you know, I could never, I could never be thankful enough for everything that we've accomplished, you know, producing TV, working with the NBA, college football, just so many different things that, Yeah, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, the only person that's going to stop you from doing something is yourself. Yeah, you know, and, and I believe that's the absolute truth. If you really yeah. want something bad enough, you're going to figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, I think the first time around, you know, because we took a break during COVID and it, and it was a really needed break. You know, I was running on fumes at that point. It's tough to run a company by yourself. Yeah, Whenever you're, you're not an independent company, you're not a major company, you're caught somewhere in between it's a very dangerous place to be. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, um, we'll go through all the details as we, as we go on, but you know, uh, you you know, another amazing thing about growing up too, is like my whole wrestling journey, my parents have been with me on almost the whole thing.
2: (laughs) They've come to the
1: majority of my shows. That's great. Uh, I've got to share it with my wife, my son, our kids, you know, it's, um, you know, like I said, man, like there's good times and bad times, but Mm -hmm. the bad times are what built your character. And, yeah. You know, God can bless you all day long with these opportunities and these amazing things. Yeah. But what are you going to do? With it? Yeah. And, you know, even that's been a journey for me. You know, I think at first, um, you know, when you get into this, you don't necessarily get into it for all the right reasons. You know, you want to be famous and you want to be on TV Yeah, and all of these other things. And You know, I still remember the day when I realized, uh, you know, like people look up to me and I was like, uh oh, I didn't ask for this one. <laughs> you know, I didn't ask for people to look up to me or to be a role model to anybody. You know, yeah. even like the three people I might be a role model to, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> and you know, that changes things if you let it to a very large degree. Yeah. You know, I learned to use um, the power that I have in wrestling to try to help people as much as possible, and yeah. to um, it helped me learn to relate to people on a whole new level. Mm-hmm. it's helped me go through situations that I never had to go through in life. You know, um, I went from, uh, at one point having tons of money to being absolutely broke and fighting all the way back from it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I never had to go through things like that and I'm thankful that I did because, you know, if you really want to be a leader, you have to understand people. Yeah. And it's hard to relate to people that you haven't gone through the things they've gone through or anything similar. And so I think a lot of the tougher situations that I went through, you know, I think really they were to prepare me for this time around for us to be able to succeed because I know what to do, what not to do. And I know how to, you know, avoid those pitfalls and use wrestling to serve a greater purpose. Yeah.
0: That's a good point. Uh, Very That's some deep thought there. uh,
1: I'm a deep person, Brian. Yeah,
0: that's great. No, I, you know, I've read about you a little bit. Uh, We were talking back and forth online today and uh, very interesting. uh, And uh, your insight and getting into your, what you have now, your world-class pro wrestling promotion. uh, I looked at your website. You've got a lot. I'm sorry i did that you, myself you, no it's great it, it's it's wonderful and it, 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 you've got a it's lot not
1: bad for somebody that's really not tech savvy
0: yeah i mean no i mean it looks great to me i mean i couldn't do that and i'm not tech savvy by any means but you've got a lot of great uh talent and you've got a lot of uh people that work there that are well known kevin sullivan eric embray iceman king parsons your ladies champion, Marty Bell, uh, the card coming up here in a few weeks. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but you've got talent there. It's not people that are not, if you go to their website, your website, it's not people that you've never heard of. I mean, for the most part, you've got a collective group of people that will draw for you, your promotion. And I, that's amazing. I mean, for a promotion of your size, I mean, it's an independent promotion, You have a lot of talent. I'm just wondering how the heck you did that.
1: You know, honestly, um, whenever I started IWR, because, you know, that's what it was before we changed the name to World Class. We changed the name to World Class whenever we started producing television. Okay. And um, whenever we started IWR, I started with no money at all. At the time, um, the girl I was with, uh, or that I was married to at that time, um, she would not let me spend $1 on wrestling. And so... um, you know, like I said, I had been in wrestling prior, but I would taken a break. And so whenever we first got started, um, you know, we, start, we opened up a wrestling school. And we were going to produce our own talent to get us started and get going. And it worked out really well. And, you know, I think a lot of times wrestling schools are overpriced. Mm-hmm. Um, ours was one of the cheapest that I've ever heard of. But our ultimate goal was to find the best talent possible. Because not everybody can afford to go to, like, a Seth Rollins training school we're at Dudley's training school and I don't even know how much they cost. That's just the first two schools that came top of my head. So I'm not knocking.
2: Yeah. But, um,
1: you know, we got our first show under the belt and, um, you know, part of me leaving it all on the table this time was we were going to get out of our, and at the time I remember the guy that helped me uh, get going. I mean, I'd ran it by myself, but he helped. Me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's like, how are we going to do that? I was like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. That's kind of like a lot of things in this journey. You just figure it out. And, yeah. Uh, I created a true no-risk no fundraiser. I always relate it to, um, you know, oftentimes, uh, I don't know how it is out there, but around here, the schools will sell these candy bars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, if somebody doesn't bring those candy bars back or somebody goes home and eats them all. Somebody's paying for it. <laughs> but the fundraiser I created is a true no-risk fundraiser. The schools or nonprofits don't pay for it. And we still do those to this day. Okay. And, uh, you know, no matter how big we got, I never changed the rules. on it. So the yeah. part, same partners I have when we got started, if I still have them now, I still get the same deal that they did when we were nothing. And, you know, to me, it's out of appreciation. There was a couple of people. Um, first guy, Jason Sands. Uh, at the time he ran the boys and girls club in Durant. He took a chance on me and had no, no reason to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And from there we were off and running. And the first big one we got was a, a small town, Broken Bow, Oklahoma. And uh, the lady, Martha Battles, who we still do these fundraisers with, uh, you know, she bought a show for me and she had no reason to. I wouldn't yeah. have bought a show for me. She took a chance. <laughs> us. I mean, you know, just being honest. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every time we go to that town, we draw at least 500 people, which is a lot. Yeah,
0: know, so, that's especially great. Especially in a small town.
1: Yeah. And um, every year, you know, they raise thousands of dollars for a middle school book club and they go to like Washington, D.C. and stuff like oh, that. Wow. That's awesome. And so, you know. It was stuff like that that got us started. And then uh, there was a guy, Tracy Peltier. Uh, he was the head of entertainment at Fire Lake Arena. Uh, we worked on him for a year um, to get a show there. And we eventually got on with them. We had run, a, we had run our own big show before that. And uh, it was one of Kevin Nash's last matches. He appeared on the show. Kevin Nash, Chavo Guerrero, Gail Kim because we built up enough money from uh, these fundraisers and our other shows to put on the show to take yeah. the gamble. Uh, Brodus Clay was on that show. He ended up losing his part of his booking fee back to me over betting on uh, Manny Pacquiao beating Floyd Mayweather. I don't know what he was thinking. He's pretty mad <laughs> when he had to give me some of his money back then. Uh, i trying to think of who else was on that show. Madison Rain was on that show. And so, you know, uh, I've never lost money on Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash has always been great. Uh, he's yeah. pretty pissed at me the first time I used him. But, you know, uh, I just didn't do my due diligence. I'd been out of the game a while. I'd never dealt with anybody on that level. And, uh, you know, I asked one of my buddies. He helped us out at the hotel in Dallas the first night. And uh, I asked him if it was nice. You know, I asked him, and he said it was. Well, Nash lands me. He's like, um, like, what the, man? He's like, you got me staying at a one-star hotel? And I'm like, no, man. He said it's nice. He's like, look at the reviews. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so we get there and it's really not that bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah. And we're sitting there and, uh, and he's texting me to like midnight bribery. And, and, you know, I deserved it. I should have. And, uh, he's like, at one point he's like, I couldn't have slept on this bed. in 1996, <laughs> you know, and this was 2016. So,
2: yeah, and
1: I mean, geez, that was like 20 years ago. He couldn't have slept on that bed. all right (laughs) and so you know the next day we do a signing we head to Ardmore uh and uh you know another rule is you don't put them in motels well nobody gave me that memo either and so in Ardmore you know it's a smaller town we didn't have a lot of hotels at that time yeah and uh, a lot of nice ones and this had actually been it was a motel but it had been actually uh been redone and on the inside really nice we left him like a gift basket and all this stuff me and Chavo get there and um He's outside taking pictures of it. I'm like, what in the hell is he doing? <laughs> we get over there. I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, I'm taking pictures of the shit. Send to my wife. Because I don't stay in motels. I'm like. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so we go do the signing. And then we go out that night. And, uh, you know, I bought him. We bought him a bottle. I had a partner at the time. We bought him a bottle of this expensive wine. And, uh, you know, he was absolutely just cool as ice. after that to yeah. this day one of my favorite people to work with he's super yeah. intelligent super good dude you know, the show run the show rolls around and uh you know we risked everything we had on the show
0: yeah
1: and uh you know we ended up drawing i think around 1700 people
0: wow that's and good
1: i was a huge blessing i remember going in the locker room because i was actually the company's champion at the time yeah i was that guy you know, promoter puts the belt on himself
2: that uh, <laughs> actually wasn't my
1: call but at the time it wasn't a bad idea especially with it being an Ardmore. you know yeah. that's where I'm from I go in there and uh, Nash is like what do you got me in the main event for and I'm like here we go again I'm like well what do you think we should do and he's like I've already had my time man I've already been in all these main events it's your time you're going on last and I'm like don't nobody want to see me last. <laughs> you know? And it was amazing cuz they actually did stay around and it was actually a really good match and Yeah. You know, but and he and he was like uh you know and he's like and I'm not going over either. I've gone over so many times in my life. My job is to come here and help you. And so he put my guys over and uh, You know, it's stuff like that that just Yeah. Uh, you know, it always stays with you. Like I never forget yeah. things. And as we grew, you know, the word got out, you know, whenever you treat somebody good, mm-hmm. um, they tell their friends. And I always felt like that was right. I still feel like to this day, that's one thing we're really good at. You know, we don't treat you any different than I treat anybody else. Yeah. And I try to treat you the way I want to be treated. Yeah. And so, you know, those relationships kept getting built and built and built. And I think the first, you know, this last go around before COVID, um, at one point we became very dependent on names and, um, uh, you know, TV talent. And that's a good and bad thing. You know, um, this time around we've restructured things very differently. Uh, Uh You know, I did almost every job at first. I mean, it was me and whenever we started producing TV, uh, my guy Randy Price, uh, one of the best producers there is. It was just me and him doing everything. He would do graphics, he would produce the TV show, cut it, deliver it to the stations, it was just me and him. And, uh, you know, so this time around, I've expanded. I've went out and gotten help, and we have James Beard, uh, who's former world class referee, well known in this area. Worked with the NWA. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a right hand man there, very skilled in every area. It's, it's me and him, and then uh, Kevin Sullivan and American do the booking. Yeah. And it's been such a blessing to to have those guys. You know, take a lot of the weight off my shoulders because, in a lot of ways, it hampered us last time. Because you know, yeah. if you're just one person doing this job, if you have one issue. Well, then you're tied up handling this issue. Who's handling everything else? Yeah. Nobody.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, it's amazing to me that, uh, and I can tell by your character, the way you speak. I mean, I've never really met you in person, uh, it, that you are a truly good person and, and care about this business. And people notice that. I think that's why you got the talent that you have. Because, like I said, you go to that website, world class pro wrestling.com you look at that roster you have and your booking agents and, and i was surprised i'm like holy cow uh you, if, know, you know like
1: i said it's been a blessed five years man you
2: and, know if I, I didn't live the, so far
0: away i'd go to irving texas on december 11th but i lived like eight hours away from there <laughs> i mean because you know, that's i saw your card and we're going to talk about the, that in a minute
1: the craziest one for me was steam no doubt you know uh Ooh, it's a deep story, too. Uh, you know, I love Sting. I remember growing up, uh, one year I was Sting for Halloween. My mom made me, uh, you know, whenever That's he right. beat Flair for his first championship, made me the blue tights, the red wine scorpion on him. And, uh, you know, I had the rat tail, the whole thing. And, uh, you know, it came about through uh, my partner at the time. He knew a guy that uh, used to train Sting's son at football. So he naturally made that connection. And, uh, Jim Ross also played a part in it. Jim Ross is a very important part of my story. So is Gene Okerlund. Uh, those guys, uh, really worked and developed me and, and taught me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, I remember having Sting the first time and now, uh, Sting's coming back in February and I think that'll be like our fifth time together.
0: Oh, wow. That's great. You know,
1: he he was a part, uh, me and Jim Ross created the super event, Oklahomania. and, uh, you know, it was his idea. I remember sitting there with him and we couldn't come up with the name, or I couldn't. He's like, Well, let's call it Oklahomania. And I laughed at him. He's like, You think that's funny? I was like, No, sir. I thought that was a joke. He's like, it's not a joke. There's not anybody else that has an event like that. And, uh, you know, so it came down basically to Sting and Shawn Michaels and we rolled the dice on Steam. And I might have been a little biased. I don't know. You know, no disrespect to Shawn Michaels, but I might have been a little biased. Yeah. And, you know, I remember then, um, WWE, I got the old nasty cease and desist from them over that event, which makes, I mean, which always still still to this day blows my mind, like why they would be concerned with old Jerry. <laughs> I remember getting this email from their lawyer and um, they had went back like two to three years on my social media, went through everything. And they had sent me pictures of things I had used that belonged to them. And I had used eight pictures in three years. That's how hard they were looking. Jeez. And uh, I thought they were going to, If I didn't take them down, they were going to sue me for $1,500 a picture. And so at the time, I told my buddy, I was like, check this out. He's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to let them sue me. I was like, I'm going to play the martyr, let them sue me, and eat the publicity. And, uh, you know, I was like, 1,500 times eight, it'll be worth it. And he's like, you're a dumbass. Reread that email. So I reread it. And it was 150,000 a pitcher,
2: not 15,000.
1: So that was over a million dollars. It's like, we better take those down right now. Yeah. And, you know, so after that, um, I remember when the second Oklahomania rolled around, and it was a really historic event for us. The first one drew around 1,000 people, which was a good turnout. Yeah. Um, The second one, WWE ran against me the same day in Oklahoma. And I thought, what is their problem? Like, pick on somebody (laughs) else, you big bullies
2: yeah you know like times right.
1: have changed you can't bully people anymore did you miss that memo? <laughs> <laughs> right and, you know so they it, and it was a house show but you know um i like odd challenges like that
2: mm-hmm.
1: so we came out swinging um, you know we had we headlined the show with sting and kevin von eric and they had never been in the ring together before oh,
2: and okay. you know
1: leading up to that event uh I remember Sting called one day and we were randomly talking. We don't, at that point, we never really talked about personal things,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, uh, you know, in the middle of this conversation, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, like, um, anytime you want to talk to me, just let me know. He's like, I know you have a void in your life. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, this went from like wrestling booking talk to that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, I know you have a void in your life with God. And I'm like, I believe in God. He's like, well, I know you do. And you're a really good hearted person, but anytime you want to hear my testimony, I'd love to let you know. And I'm like,
2: wow, I have to
1: go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> Cause at that time I had a job.
2: Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, so the event starts coming around and, and, uh, you know, he's Lex and Sting are really good friends in my life. And, yeah. Uh, they don't see each other or they didn't at that point. They don't see each other as much anymore because yeah. of Lex's health issues. Right. And so, um, Sting, uh, I I wanted to bring legs in for Sting, you know, so they could spend time together. Yeah. Uh, You know, Sting was like, uh, yeah, you know, if it's not too much trouble, I know you've already done me a favor, but I'd like to get in the ring with Kevin since I've never been in the ring with him. I'm like, oh, I'm sure we can work that out. And... You know, so we we have this WWE house show going against our mega show, and we actually outdrew them. I think we had around 2,200 people for that show.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: wow. we beat them. And, um, you know, our, before that show, Sting lives outside of Dallas. Okay. And uh, he was like, yeah, you know, I think we're going to stay the night in Ardmore. And I'm like, that's strange. He's like, uh, can you send me a list of five-star hotels? I'm like, we don't have that here, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know and then he's like well we're gonna stay and go to church the next day can you send me a list of churches and uh, i'm like yeah i send you a list of churches so i seem like a list of five of the bigger churches well lo and behold he picks the church i used to go to and um, at the end of the conversation he's like oh yeah uh, we're kidnapping you and taking you with us i'm like what <laughs> so you know the show rolls around and um or after that, I tell my mom about it. And she's like, well, you, you know, that's where your son's mother goes to church. And it's amazing. You know, um, God works on his time. He doesn't work on our time. And um, and he's pleasantly at work. Oftentimes, remember, we don't see it. And uh, so that day rolls around and uh, the show is a colossal disaster. Colossal no. disaster. Going into that weekend, uh, you yeah, I don't know that I've ever really spoken numbers in public over. The show is $20,000 short. And, uh, man, it makes me emotional when I tell this story. Um, Take your time. I remember Kevin Von Eric texting me, telling me to, uh, uh, you know, it was going to be a great day. God's going to be with us and all this stu- other stuff. I'm like, I'm not trying to hear that shit right now, man. I'm $20,000 in the hole.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And, uh but Kevin's such a good dude. And, uh, he's really done right by me. And
2: yeah.
1: so the show rolls around and, uh, and I've done this 15 years, you know, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So the show comes and goes, I don't count the money because I don't feel like seeing it. <laughs> the next day rolls around and we go to church and uh, not only, not only was, um, that the day that, uh, or Not Not only was that the place where my son's mother went to church, um, but it was also the day she was actually getting baptized, oddly enough. Oh, wow. And so at the back of this church, it's me, my son, Sting, Sting's wife, and Lex Luger, And, uh, you know, it was really deep. And afterwards, uh, he's like, hey, man, you want to go to Starbucks? I was
0: like,
1: <laughs> I see what you're doing here. I was like, but I will go to Starbucks. And so we go and, um, you know, we sit down, and, and sure enough, here comes the testimonies. And, uh, you know, he brought up a couple of things that happened to the show. He was like, Yeah, he goes, You know, I know you're a really good hearted dude. He goes, You know, there's not a lot of promoters like you in this. And uh, he's like, But all the good you do, he's like, You have no idea because you haven't been there of the people you can touch if you quit trying to control everything and you put your faith in God, you let him do it for you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was crazy to me because, uh, you know, in a lot of ways he was right. Mm I've always wanted to control things, you know, to try to control my own destiny instead of let it play out, do my part and let it play out.
2: Yeah. And, uh,
1: know their testimonies were deep stinging legs, both. And, uh, you know, legs, uh, was paralyzed at one point and he was never even supposed to be able to really move again. And I yeah. remember after that talk, uh, I remember like Sting went to put his wheelchair in the back of his SUV and Lex gets up and walks to the car. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? He's supposed to be walking. <laughs>
2: yeah. And you
1: know, he had his hand on the side of the car helping him. but yeah. you know, I mean another Testament to God's work and, you know, Lex said something that really stood out to me. He said, uh, you know, Jerry's like a lot of people feel sorry for me now. He was like, I'm happier than I've ever been in life because my relationship with God despite everything that's happened. Yeah, And, uh, you know, they left and they went back. And so finally I had to look at this money and I counted it. And, uh, you know, I can't remember the exact amount now, but it was still thousands of dollars short. I was like, well, it was better than last year. You know, chalk it up. And we got to show the very next week. And so I remember trying to book everything for the next weekend, the next day, and my card started getting my card started declined. And uh, the next day, I called my buddy, who was my personal banker, my lifelong best friend, and um, or one of my lifelong best friends. I said, "Hey, man, you know, like, how bad is my account? Um, I have to come put this money in there and start booking this next show because I hadn't been to the bank yet." He's like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, "You know, I used my card. My card was declined." So, how bad is it? He's like, oh, yeah. Like, uh, yesterday, all the bank s- services crashed and it was a banking holiday. So, nobody was here to fix it. And I was like, oh, I was like, okay, well, how bad is it? Because I need to come put this money in there. And he's like, what are you talking about? You have X amount of money. And like I said, I can't remember exactly what it was, but mm-hmm. um, the two amounts of money matched up to where the show didn't lose a dollar at all. Wow. I've been in wrestling long enough to know that an independent wrestling show doesn't pop $20,000 in one day. It just doesn't hardly ever happen. And it yeah. did. And I remember you know, just getting on my knees and crying. And thank God. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I text Sting and he was like, uh, he was like, you know, you planted the seeds and you reap what you sow. Yeah. And About that time, here comes Lex. He's like, Stinger told me the good news, man. Great job. And I'm like, of course he (laughs) did. And, uh, you know, so it's, you know, working with Sting has been uh, so rewarding
2: in so many ways.
1: And I always say he is like the standard of what anybody in wrestling should be like. You know, if Sting is humble and genuine, then none of us have a reason not to be.
0: No, I've heard a lot of things about him and how great he is uh as a person. And that story is very, very touching. I mean, it's it that's um
1: that's real life. You know? Yeah.
0: That's yeah uh, that, that's 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 wonderful. I mean yeah, I mean great guy and you know, like I said before, you seem like such a good person, good hearted and yeah. I'm not perfect uh, by
1: any means. but I, I think I've probably made mistakes every single day. Yeah. But the only difference now is that uh, you know, I know those mistakes and it goes for anybody. Your mistakes don't define, you know, yeah. your heart, your intentions. God knows those things and uh, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's yeah. perfect. And just right. because you make mistakes doesn't make you a bad person. Right. And, and for a long time, I had felt that. Way. And, yeah. You know, it, it was funny because uh, my best friend, the one who was my personal banker, you know, he tried to tell me stuff forever, but I'm not trying to hear it from him, you know? yeah. And And, you know, God is so smart. He knows, or he knew that I, you know, it would take somebody like one of my heroes to come talk this sense into me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, kind of after that conversation, that's whenever uh, a lot of things changed for me, and I realized yeah. that. Uh, and I and I started talking it to my talent too. You know, uh, mm-hmm. these people that come to your shows, or these people that support you in general, have this ability to pay attention to. You. They're mm-hmm. supporting. You. Give yeah. them something back. When they come to your shows, be able to look at them and and see if maybe they might need something from you. not your merchandise.
2: Right. <laughs> they might
1: right. need you to just speak to them. ask yeah. them how they're doing. Notice that something's going on in the line. And um, you know I feel like not just me but but my talent, um, a lot of them have done some really good solid work for people over, yeah. you know over the last four years or so. And it all started with that.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. That's that's uh I don't even know what to say. I mean that's such a touching story that uh
1: I didn't know what to say at the time either. Trust me. Trust me.
0: <laughs> um I was gonna to talk to you a little bit, some of your up and rising stars you have. Um in your opinion, and I don't want you to do you think a lot of those guys and, and men and women have that potential to go on to the AEW Impact? Your nemesis, WWE. <laughs> do, they, do they have? I, I don't. I don't have any hard feelings,
1: WWE. I have no hard feelings. Don't do that to me again. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, um, we had one Fuego del Sol who went on to sign with AEW. He's the first one out of our group to do so. We've had a lot of people appear on AEW and WWE, um, but he's the first one to get a contract. I absolutely do believe that in a lot of them. Um, You know, I think you obviously have to have the right character.
2: Yeah. And,
1: you know, I'm a firm believer that that character, in whatever way, is, is the best character is a natural extension of yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's got to be something that you believe in. Because if you don't believe in it and you're not buying into it, how can you sell it to someone else? And so I think that's really important. I think there's people kind of, um, it's hard to find everybody that has every one of these qualities. You know, it it starts with your entrance. It it ends with the way you leave. Every single thing in between. And it's not just the big things, it's the small things. So you got this character. What music are you coming out to? How does this music relate to your character? How does this music make people understand you before you even get in the ring? Your movements, you know, your uh, your facial expressions, um, the way you sell moves, the way that you interact with, you know, each person, the way you can read a crowd. There's different kinds of crowds, you know. There's um, like AEW. Uh, the majority of them are probably Smart Mark fans, you know, and, and they're like hormonal males, like eighteen to forty. <laughs> 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 you know uh, WWE is a mixture of you know WWE has a way stronger female base
2: Yeah,
1: um, you know AEW you don't see a lot of kids at AEW um, you know like in our in our instances whenever you're doing school fundraisers really a lot of the shows in general you're performing in front of families yep. you know so if you're um, if you're a ring of honor type worker you know uh, you have to watch how you connect with these people you work in front of a family, these people want to be involved. They don't really care about all of your flashy moves. They want you to involve them. Obviously, you still have to be a good worker. You now, I remember a couple of guys that worked a show. In fact, it was one of our broken boat shows, and they went out and they did all these high spots one after another. And the people just sat there. They didn't cheer, boo, hardly anything because they were so lost of what was going on. And it was yeah. one after the other. And I remember they came to the back, and uh, I was like, "What do you guys think of that match?" And they were like, "You know." We missed a couple of things, but it's pretty good. And I was like, did it cross your mind that they really weren't cheering for you guys? And they were like, yeah, it's kind of dead. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> whenever you go out, learn to read your crowd." I'm like, if you guys, and I wasn't knocking them because they're very talented. Actually, yeah. both of them are in AW now. And, um, you know, but at the time I was like, learn how to read people. Mm-hmm. These people just wanted you to involve them. You know, when you do a move, make eye contact with somebody, take your time in between these moves. When you do a high spot, tell the story of how you got that high spot instead of just high spot, high spot, high spot, high spot, high spot, you know, like tell, like involve them. Whenever you're going out there, you have these people's emotions in the palm of your hand and it's up to you what you do with it. And, you know, I'll forever believe the business obviously evolves like anything else. Uh But I'll forever believe that you cannot have an emotional attachment to a wrestling. You have an emotional attachment to that person. Yeah. And if that person has no character, cannot talk, does not relate to people, it's hard to buy. Anything. You look yeah. at the biggest draws of all time. Look at Hogan. Hogan wasn't the best worker in the world. Right. Look at Stunning or Stone Cold Steve Austin. When he was Stone Cold, he wasn't the best worker in the world. He was a way better worker when he was Stunning Steve yeah you know yeah flair yeah. went out and did like the same thing over and over and over he was great at it but it was <laughs> a, a lot of the same yeah. look at the von erics some of the biggest draws in the history of pro wrestling were not the greatest workers but they were people that could connect with you you know like i you know one thing about the AEW crowd uh you know i remember whenever the bullet club club was very prominent and uh, you know it's kind of the of AEW. i guess it was uh new japan ring of Honor, all that yeah they were so smart about their marketing. You know, if you lost, if you lost your grip on reality, you might think you were the next member of the Bullet Club. <laughs> you know, they were that good at marketing that. And it was, and you know, that, yeah. that um, I remember when the Ring of Honor really peaked. I mean, it was very, very smart marketing with the Bullet Club. You know, yeah. I think the downfall of the Ring of Honor is, uh, you know, a lot of them went on to AEW. And, mm-hmm. and even that was so over at that point that WWE adapted the ring of honor style in a lot of ways. Yeah. You
2: know,
1: I think now that's a big part of all the cuts WWE is making. Um, I think they're trying to go back to how they used to be instead of adapting, you know, because at the time I was shocked that WWE would change the formula to suit anybody. Right. And, yeah. Cause sure. I mean, but if you think about the main talent in WWE, a lot of them came from ring of honor at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, there a lot of them came from the indies. And now, you know, they're saying they're not going to hire indie talent anymore. They're going to go back to developing their own talent. And honestly, in my opinion, that's probably how it should be. AEW's done a great job of bringing in indie talent in the mm-hmm. Ring of Honor workers. And, you know, especially during the pandemic, uh, AEW gave opportunities to so many people. They gave yeah. work to so many people that didn't have anywhere to work. And, you know, that's yeah. where Fuego really did well. They cleaned up there. You know, I remember one of our fans is like, man, you know, if only he had won more matches. And I'm like, you just don't get it. Yeah. You don't get it. He was over for every other reason than winning a match. It didn't even matter, you know. And I was so happy when he got that contract signed. I think whenever you come across these people, it's your job to do your part as a promoter. Mm -hmm. If you can, to help them get to the next level, to help them be seen by some of these people to help put them in matches with some of these people that might can get them where they want to go, and yeah. if you can develop them along the way, you know it's um, your job to do so. I uh, yeah. uh, feel like my strengths are are definitely character development, promo talk, stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely not the wrestling end of it, you know. But uh, well, that's not true. At all that's why all you surround with people that are better.
0: You you were you were a champion multiple yeah. times. Yeah,
1: my own company. <laughs>
0: Well, you still did it. I mean, if you weren't a draw, you wouldn't put yourself as a champion if you're not going to draw money.
1: I mean, no, that At that time, at that time I, I really was in this area, you know, for us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and it was also a decision made by a committee, not just myself, to do yeah. that. Um, but, you know, now, you know, being a champion is a lot more than just being a champion yeah to me being a champion is like um, this person's the figurehead of your company yeah this person is is what your company stands for
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know whenever we uh, got the Von Eriks I think for probably uh, three to four years I was pretty much the only promoter that used Marshall Moss. you know it's it's tough because they live in Hawaii they don't live in Texas yeah Hawaiian airfare is very expensive Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're such great guys and uh, you know They, to me, they were a big representation of of what we stood for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's sad whenever you think about all the tragedies that hit that family. But Marshall and Ross are not those guys. You know, Kevin did a great job of raising them to ensure that that would not happen. Yeah. And, you know, I remember when we decided to change the name to World Class, we uh, got our first television deal. And, you know, it's funny, we didn't even have a TV show at the time. A guy called me, because uh, he knew one of my guys that worked for me, called me from NBC in Missouri. And uh, I didn't even know at the time that, that NBC, ABC, CBS, like they had local franchises like McDonald's. Wow. You know, I thought wow. They, I thought NBC was just NBC. Yeah. And so the dude calls me and he's like, yeah, you know, uh, senior stuff. And we had this wrestling show on that did well. They went out of business and we want to replace it with your product. And I was like, oh man, that's great. But I don't have a TV show. <laughs> And, uh, he's like, well, you know, we, we saw your stuff on YouTube and, uh, I was like, yeah, that's on YouTube, but that's not a TV show.
2: Yeah. And
1: he's like, well, you know, it's, uh, every, every, uh, Saturday following Saturday night live. And I was like, we'll take it. And he's like, okay, well, how soon can you have me the show? I was like, well, now we're back to the original issue that I don't have one.
2: Yeah.
1: I was like, "I, I need a month, give me a month and I will have you something. So, you know, uh. We, I get off the phone with him and I, and I, and I watch a lot of videos. I read a lot of articles and Jim Ross lived. Um, he, he still comes back to Oklahoma every now and then, but I think he, he mostly stays in Jacksonville.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: JR lived about an hour from, me, and uh, he helped me so much and opened so many doors for me. I would literally take one of my notepads and just go sit with him. We'd go wherever, whatever restaurant he wanted to go to, go to and uh, I would just sit with him with not with my notepad and just listen to him talk and just, write things down, left and right, write things down. They taught me how to write television. And lo and behold, within a month, we delivered our uh, first TV show. uh, You know, we ended up having, before COVID, you know, because we didn't run over COVID, but I think we ended up with uh, four local affiliates, uh, a couple NBCs, ABC, uh, my network TV. Uh, We had international TV in Israel. Oh, wow. You know, um, it, it's just amazing to even think that because, you know, it's all these things that happen to make you, that you, you know, if you're being honest, most people never dream of that stuff, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, No. And in, you're right.
1: And, you know, um, before we came back with, uh, in October, you know, we sold our uh, back catalog or actually I licensed it. I did not sell it. Um, I licensed it to a newer streaming service called C E T V TV. And, you know, as far as I know, it's one of the biggest independent wrestling deals of all time. Oh, wow. That in itself was a real blessing. Most of the time when they come to you, it's, uh, you know, they're not paid deals. They want to just make barter agreements with you about, oh, well, you know, you can be on this over-the-top thing. Whenever we sell some advertising time, you can have like 17 cents or something like that. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so I've always sat on it because I I believed that the product was good enough to be on something and to be bought instead of bartered. And, uh, you know, it eventually worked out for us. And uh, yeah. But, you know, whenever you're, we never had a home base throughout IWR world class. We were always traveling from town to town. Mm-hmm. We produced shows in Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas. I think our biggest year was 2018, and we produced 40 live events that year, which is an wow. insane amount of live events for an independent wrestling company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, I think we already have 30 on the books for next year. The biggest wow. difference wow. is, you know, I've surrounded myself with people that know what they're doing, know how to get things done. Yeah. And you just have to just, you know, you have to give them what they need and let them go to work. Yeah. And, you know, one of the biggest changes, too, is we have uh, two home bases now. Starting in January, uh, we'll be running the venue we're running in December. Uh, we'll be running Southern Junction in Irving and the Nitech Center in North Richland Hills, which are about 30 minutes apart.
2: Okay. We'll be running
1: both of those every single month. So we have two home venues, and you know, whenever you're going from town to town and producing TV like we were before, they were good shows, but they were, I would say, they were highly produced spot shows. With us having a home venue now and focusing on the Dallas market, yeah, um, okay. now we're focusing more on episodical television,
2: okay. you know,
1: which Eric and Kevin both excel at, mm-hmm. and so we'll be diving way deeper into storyline. Uh, we're going back. You know, I felt like our product before was kind of all over the place. I mean, we did some crazy stuff. You know, we had regular wrestling shows. But then, uh, you know how WWE has done some cinematic things. Yeah, I was doing yeah. that before they did. <laughs> I, I had come up with this idea, and it's crazy. Uh, do you remember the 1980s soap opera Dallas? I do. Who shot JR. So, <laughs> yes. I tried to have JR shot, but he didn't want to get shot. So we were. I was in Hawaii staying with the Bon Eriks one week. And, uh, I was trying to show him something on my phone and I clicked on my tour of Southport, and I was like, we should do a wrestling show there. And so I called the lady from Southport, and for whatever crazy reason, she loved the eye. Wow. And so then I wanted to put together, I was going to, I was going to combine wrestling and Dallas into one. And, um, so I called John Morrison first, you know, which is so sad to see that he got released, uh. You know, honestly, somebody like John, um, he's better off elsewhere because John is one of the most creatively intelligent people I've ever worked with. Okay. And for those of you listening or watching that don't know, John actually written, wrote, produced, and paid for his own feature film called Boone the Bounty Hunter. It was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still there. Okay, I'll have to check it out. I didn't know that. Oh, it, it's absolutely hilarious. Okay. And so immediately when I was thinking about who shot jr i was thinking all right well somebody's got to find the killer and i was like oh Boone the bounty hunter (laughs) so i called john i'm like hey man i know this is going to sound absolutely nuts but hear me out i started telling him about this plot you know i was like you know we're gonna have we have jr get shot boom the bounty hunter investigates we find the killer whatever and he loved it that's so bam we're off we're off and running So then I go to – JR. was out of the country at the time, so I went to Raphael Morphy, who's uh, his manager. Now he's the AEW touring manager. He was a former WWE tour manager. Okay. I gave him this idea, and he's like, "Uh, yeah, I don't think Jim's going to do that. And so I'm like, well, he's not really going to get shot. (laughs) And so finally, I had the conversation with him about it. He's like, I ain't doing that hokey shit. He's like, I didn't like doing it for Vince. And he pays me a lot more than you do. And I was like, "Eh, fair enough, fair enough. So, you know, we but we run through with it. Uh, The lady at the venue, I said, hey, are you by any chance close with anybody from the TV show? And she said, yes, Charlene Tilton, who played Lucy Ewing, is one of my good friends. I said, I know this sounds crazy, but I need her to be a part of this show. And so she calls Charlene Tilton, sets me up to talk to her. She loves the idea. Little did I know, she's never even seen wrestling a day in her life. Oh, no. Charlene (laughs) Tilton comes in for this show. We show up the day to shoot the show. And we have no idea at all what we're doing since JR won't get shot. (laughs) And so we're just kind of sitting there early in the morning walking around, me and John. We go to the gift shop, and he's like, there it is right there. He goes, we can take one of those J.R. Ewing hats and say somebody stole it. and They're going to leave the ranch if I don't find them. I'm like, that's it. Because you know, J.R. Ewing was such an iconic character. Yeah. Larry, Larry Hagman. And um, so that's what we did. And we turned this into a three-part mini miniseries. Oh. And um, I remember I had sent it to a guy in Hollywood that J.R. had hooked me up with. And he calls and uh cuz you know at first you don't know how good it's going to be until you watch it back. Yeah. And yeah. we really don't write a lot of things honestly. We get people um kind of like the synopsis of what we want out of it but then we let them be themselves. I'm not yeah. a big person for writing people's promos. I think that that is just it just waters things down. Like if I write things for 10 different people then you're just having yeah. 10 different versions of me. And I and I'm I've never been a fan of it. Yeah. And so uh you know we watch it back and i'm like oh my god this is really good so we send it off and this guy calls and he goes how in the hell did you think of this and so i give him the rundown and he goes well you know wwe has done hollywood things so many times he's like what do you think of those And i was like well i think they're bad and he's like yeah they're awful i said well i think it's just because most of the time that people that are involved are there to put their own things over and not to put over wrestling. And, uh, you know, that's what made ours different was Charlene was there to put over wrestling, you know, but I was, you know, I remember being scared at the time that Charlene was going to get booed out of the building, like WWE fans typically do celebrities, but everybody adored her because she was so amazing <laughs> and such a sweet lady. You know, they gave her like a standing ovation as she walked out with JR's hat. And, um, you know, it turned out that dastardly PCO was uh, the guy that stole the hat. <laughs> and after, you know, the third part of the miniseries, it was funny. Dave Meltzer, uh, the 30-second the opening to the third episode, Dave Meltzer called the greatest 30 seconds of wrestling he's ever seen in his life. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. And, you know, so um, the guy was like, so what production company did you use to do this? And I'm like, man we're an independent wrestling company. We don't have a production company. I said, I have, a, I have a group of great guys with mismatched cameras that care about what they're doing. And I have yeah. one of the best video producers and editors there is. Yeah. And he's like, wow, okay. He's like, so how many days did it take you to shoot this? And I was like, again, we're an independent wrestling company. <laughs> we did that in one day. And he's like, you mean to tell me that you did all of this in one day? And I was like, yeah, and we and we winged the whole thing. And he was really in such disbelief. And, you know, like I said earlier, I just don't think there's anything that you can. Yeah. And we eventually did four or five more of those mini series. You know, we were the first wrestling company ever to uh, produce a show in conjunction with division one college football. We wow. had, um, yeah, we opened up the season for the university of North Texas in 2000, I think it was 18. And, um, we broke their attendance record granted most of them were there to watch football. Right. <laughs> but right. I think we had about five to 6,000 that stayed for wrestling. Wow. And you know, it featured Kevin Von Eric came back for that show too. It featured the boys, uh, yeah. Marshall and Ross teaming up with Iceman King Parsons who wrestled wow. against, uh, in Lacey Von Eric was there too, against, uh, my, my guys, the Arrow Club. And, you know, it was such an amazing event because, you know, it was, it's tough to pull off something that's never been done. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm thinking we're going to build the ring and they'll drive it back out. They'll drive it out on the field after the show. Mm -hmm. But apparently not because they had some kind of expensive turf that they couldn't have ruined. And so we literally had to stack the ring against the 50-yard line and build it fast as we could after the show. Wow. And so whenever we figured out we were going to have to go that route, I was like, okay, I'm going to find another ring. And uh, one of my friends, Knight Davis, actually helped me out with that. Uh, It was very hard to find another ring. And we built that ring on the concourse before the show. So people came into the, or before the game, whenever people came into the game, uh, we had a meet and greet going on there. And as soon as the show, or as soon as the game was over, we started the show on the concourse ring. and We had all the video cameras playing it on the big screen while we built the ring on the field. Yeah. And it ended up being a tremendous success. And then we went on and, and did kind of the same thing with uh, the Oklahoma City Thunders Developmental League team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's just cool things like that because I love sports in general. So yeah. combine right. those worlds and then do to do the Dallas things too. Yeah. You know, like I said, we were kind of all over the place before doing all kinds of crazy stuff, having great times. But mm-hmm. I think now we're, we're streamlining our product more. We're going back to more of a, an old world class type product it's going to be yeah. a much more yeah. physical product it's going to be um, a much more believable product it's almost like a you know i think in a sense aew was an alternative to WWE. And i think yeah. that's the reason why they've done so well mm-hmm. people wanted something other than WWE. yeah and for good reason i don't think wwe and i'm not knocking them i'm not one of those people right but I, th- I, I don't think this is the best tv WWE has produced lately yeah in the last few years, yeah. and AEW has capitalized off that. You know, an AEW show—it doesn't make a lot of psychological sense sometimes, but they're very entertaining shows. Yeah, and you know, but I feel like our our product is going to be a really true alternative to those. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I'm not comparing us to them. I'm not no. I'm not that delusional. <laughs> I'm delusional sometimes, but I'm not that delusional. Yeah. No. Um, but you know, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I really feel like Christmas Star Wars is going to be um, the start of us presenting our true product.
0: Let's talk about Christmas Star Wars. I just saw that card uh, after we exchanged online messaging, and you've got a great card. Uh, talk about it a little bit for us where it's going to be at, kind of uh, what's, what's the main
1: December 11th at Southern Junction in Irving, Texas. Um, tickets are available at Eventbrite. or are at worldclassprowrestling.com. Okay. Uh, we got 10 matches. Uh, we got special appearances. Mark Lawrence returns as the voice of world class for the first time in like yeah. 30 years.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, Mark is such a good dude. One of the, one of the finest human beings. Um, you know, we got Eric Embry returning for the first time in 30 years in a permanent role. And that's great, you know. Eric has already lived this life, you know. He, um, you know, after after World Class was on the downturn, uh, you know, back in the late '80s, you know, Eric came in, and when many, when many many people were under the assumption that the Texas territory was dead,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he revived it. Yeah, you know, he saved that territory, and they were uh, making money hand over fist. So Eric yeah. has already been in this territory he knows how to make it successful yeah uh you know him and kevin are like a dream team of sorts you know so we we, and we have mick foley coming back to world class for the first time since he got started oh yeah and that's crazy all it took all it took was one phone call from eric to mick to get that done and and you know mick is such a stand-up dude uh you know eric was very instrumental in jump-starting mick's career Mm -hmm. and mick has not forgotten that that's great yeah, so we gotta, have, go, uh, ahead. go
0: ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Tell us the card.
1: We got Fuego Del Sol versus Gideon Vane. Gideon and Fuego have both been a couple of our mainstays for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we talked about earlier, Fuego signed to AEW now. We got Andrew Anderson, who's been all over the independent circuit. He was in the movie The Wrestler. He was in the TV show Gotham. Uh, we got him against uh, uh, stepbrother Tigo. Tigo has been with me for... 15 years 15 years that's a lot of championships for me
2: yeah
1: i had an amazing match with john morrison in fact at Oklahoma to multiple time tag team champion um we got action jackson i haven't worked with him before you know but he's really kind of the last working member of the original world class that still wrestles so very cool yeah yeah, very cool (laughs) for him to come back uh you know, to where it got started for him. You know, it's obviously not that world-class, but, you know, it's the next best thing. (laughs) He's working with Flex Zerba, and Flex is one of my favorite guys that works for me. You know, whenever we were doing a lot of these crossovers, these crazy crossovers that most people, you know, it's funny because everybody enjoyed them, but at the time, people think they're crazy.
2: Yeah. And
1: uh, Flex would do whatever role we had for him. No matter what it was or how shameful it was, he had no problem doing it. He had... uh, he was, uh, in the, in the Dallas episodes, you know, he was, um, he would wear his Zubaz around. He was riding a fake cow at one point. Uh, we went on and did the wizard of Oz in Wichita where Jake, the snake was the wizard.
2: <laughs> and, and
1: he was, uh, That's he great. was the cowardly lion on the wizard of Oz <laughs> from there. We went on and did Smokey and the bandit. And he was like the bad cop that was trying to chase down Chavo Guerrero. And, uh, <laughs> And he eventually catches him at the end, and Chavo and MVP proceed to beat him up really bad. Yeah. Uh, from there, we did a we did a, a, our own version of Smallville in Kansas. Uh, <laughs> I was a huge Smallville fan, so it's very cool yeah. to do that. And Flex, it was around Christmas time, and Flex, uh, he was very delusional. He thought, uh, even though his dad was clearly Santa Claus, he thought for some reason that he was Superman. <laughs> and so he thought that he had superpowers, and the whole mini series was about him yeah really just not being Superman, but thinking in his mind that he was. And then in the main event, Santa Claus ended up helping him with the win by hitting somebody with the chair. <laughs> so Flex is, is one of my favorite dudes because no <laughs> matter awesome. what we did, you know, he's always been there. Uh, we got a girls' match Danny B versus Kelsey Reagan. Danny B uh, recently got signed to a uh, wow uh, women of wrestling. Okay. Uh, she actually had her first match for me a couple of years ago. And she went down and trained with Booker T for a while. in Houston. Okay. Kelsey Reagan is out of Florida. Uh, she's an up and comer too. She's one of Devon Dudley's students. Okay. Uh, you know, I always like to try, uh, I used to be really good at it. Kind of got away from it whenever we started using a lot of names, but I like to, to pay attention to what names keep falling out in front of me. I would try to try to mm-hmm. look at them, bring them in, get them while they're hot. Okay. Um, or get them while they're becoming hot. Yeah. Uh, we have Moonshine Mantell versus Jacob Fatu. This is actually a rematch uh, from our October show, one of the best matches I've seen in person. Those guys wow. can go. You know, I mean, they're two heavyweights, and they were out there hitting Canadian Destroyers. I mean, they're they're <laughs> oh. amazing workers. Jacob Fatu is a former MLW champion. And uh, Moonshine Mantell, he's been on AEW a couple times. Um, I wouldn't call him a, a best-kept secret, you know, but uh, – it, it's amazing to me that somebody hasn't signed that guy. Yeah. Uh, we got Double D and Kyle Hawk. Double D is one of, uh, he's been one of the best workers in Oklahoma forever, you know, for years and years. Uh, he can work anybody. He's such a talented worker, one of the best pound-for-pound pound workers probably in wrestling. You know, he's another, another one that's a, a well-kept secret. Uh, yeah. Kyle Hawk, he's, he's been all around the United States. Uh, him and another guy that used to work with us, uh, they, they were the ones that really worked with the Von Erics for a long time. Um, we have Jenny Santana debuting. Jenny is actually uh, Tito Santana's daughter. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it'll be her debut match. She's also a uh, multiple-time uh, jiu-jitsu champion.
2: Oh. So she has cool. a very decorative
1: <laughs> background. Uh, her yeah, I, her background is is uh, really kind of more impressive than Ronda Rousey. honest. the UFC part. So okay. she that's how decorated she is. She's a, a multiple-time champion. She'll be okay. wrestling Erica Torres which has also been one of ours for a long time. Erica is also uh, the youngest NWA women's champion ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then we have uh, the Texas Heavyweight Championship on the line, the Blood Hunter versus Carlito. I don't know if you've seen the Blood Hunter, but he's one of the scariest wrestlers in wrestling. You know, we saw him wrestle Sandman a couple of months ago, and, oh, man, it just makes you cringe sometimes. He's huge. He's a really big guy, very physical throwback wrestler. Okay. Um, you know, hopefully Carlito comes ready for that. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, I, I would not be in the ring with the Bloodhunter, period. I, yeah. I will pass on that. We have, um, we vacated our tag team titles over COVID. Uh, one of the guys towards ACL that was the champion. Okay. So we have um, the OMGs, which uh, they come from a, a Texas company that unfortunately uh, ceased operations, at least temporarily, SWE. They were really big down here for a minute. And okay. they were their tag team champions, and they'll be wrestling uh, Devastation Reborn, which is a spinoff of Devastation I mean, uh, yes. with Agbar and Al-Farad. Al-Farad actually, um, actually worked with Skandar Agbar some.
2: Oh, okay. So okay. it
1: was kind of passed down from him. You know. That's great. And, uh, and then we have Gino Medina from MLW taking on Charlie Haas. Yes. And you know, Charlie Haas still right now, not old Charlie Haas, this Charlie Haas, one of the best technical wrestlers in the game. And honestly, I think he's even better now than he was then. Okay. Because uh, he's become such a, a polarizing heel. You know, I think that heels are um, – I think heels are not what they used to be. You know? Yes, yeah, I agree with you. I think Neil – I think now people would rather be the cool heel than be a true heel.
2: Yeah. And,
1: you know, Charlie is a straight-up heel. He will not even come out and in, in sign pictures. If you want one, you can buy one, and they will take it back to him, and he will sign it. But he will not come out there and be that's your great. buddy.
0: That's great. You know, that's that's and, great. And to
1: me, that, that's how wrestling should be. You, know, you I need think to go throw be.
0: back. Yeah, they do. And that's – I was going to ask you that real quick. You've been in for a while, and wrestling today versus wrestling even 20 years ago is – flipped to me a 180 and i think a lot of it honestly is the social media aspect because on social media you know they they they're out of character or whatever you want to call it i guess they're their person uh and sometimes they come into character but for the most part you know there might be a a heel in the ring but then when they're out of the ring and they're on social media they're your buddy or they want to be you know Whatever. And I think that's kind of a lost art, my opinion. You're right. You're exactly right. Uh,
1: you know, it's changed so much, and social media is a big part of it. And also, yep. selling merchandise is a big part of it. You know, yeah. people, a lot of them rely on their merchandise money. Back in the day, Hills used to get a percentage of uh, Baby Faces merchandise. Now, you know, they go out and fend for themselves. And so, mm-hmm. it's never made a lot of sense to me how you can go out and be so dastardly in a match, but then turn around and kiss people's ass so you can get their money. You know, I mean, it, it makes no <laughs> logical sense. You know, I mean, it makes no logical sense if you think about it, because a heel, yeah. you know, should be the bad guy all the time. You know, it's yeah. funny, uh, Kyle Hawk, actually, uh, one of our heels, uh, he goes out and sells merchandise, but he stays in character. Yeah. And, and it's wild because he sells so much merchandise and he's being a complete a-hole the whole entire time. Yeah. You know, and, but if you're going to go out and do that, I think that's how it needs to be. Yeah. Because, um, how are people, obviously, people know at this point it's a work. Yeah. uh, But how are they going to even buy into what's going on, even while they're there, if you totally flip characters just to go sell some money? Yeah. And I think, you know, hills cheat. They cheat. And a lot of hills don't even cheat anymore on TV. Or if you watch a match in, even if you don't know who somebody is, you turn on a match. You should be able to tell tell if they're a heel or a face. Yep. And if you can't, that's an immediate issue. You know? mm-hmm. I think that um, the the change in the way wrestling is presented and the way that it's gone more mood based. You know, I don't think that the boom period that's going on right now. I don't think it's sustainable. No, because you can't have that attachment to these moves it has to be deeper than that and you know i hope i'm wrong i really do i hope that i hope it is sustainable but i think whenever um you know aew at first i I thought their intention was to go out and build a lot of new stars Mm -hmm. but now it seems like they're becoming like wwe 2.0
2: and yeah
1: you know you you, bring in cm punk and that's all good and great for daniel bryan or a lot of those guys but it's like they pop the ratings for a week or two but then they go right back down to what they were before yeah you know i i was talking to um, jimmy hart a couple months ago and he brought this up and i hadn't really thought about it and he said you know whenever vince was looking for a replacement for hulk you know he wanted the next superstar
2: mm-hmm. He said
1: a superstar somebody that you see in an airport even if you don't watch wrestling you know who they are that mm-hmm. is a superstar. And he said, so based on that criteria, he said, if, C- if you saw CM Punk in, in an airport and you were not an avid wrestling watcher, would you even know who that is? No. You wouldn't. And I'm not knocking CM Punk. I actually like CM Punk. Yeah. It is true. He said, so who today would you notice in an airport? I said, Lesnar. He's like, yeah, Brock. I said, maybe Roman Reigns. Yeah. He said, yeah. And he said, who else? And I was like, Uh Cena,
2: does
1: that count? He's like, yes, that counts. Yeah. You know, in my mind, I think uh, Cena was probably the last global superstar that was created.
0: I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, heck, my kids. So my kids didn't care for wrestling, but they knew who John Cena was.
1: Exactly. And they're, uh, and
0: they're friends. They all knew who John Cena
1: was. Do you know who Barry Switzer is?
0: Yeah. Coach. Of, yeah. Oklahoma. One
1: time I was hanging out with Barry Switzer
0: and uh,
1: I told him I was in the wrestling business and he was like, oh, that's great. What weight class are you in? I was like, oh, this guy. <laughs> and, you know, I said, uh, sir, it's not that kind of wrestling. And the way I explained it, I said, it's. Hulk Hogan wrestling. He goes,
2: oh,
1: oh. you know, because to me, um, you know, people can say what they want about Hogan. He's obviously not perfect, and he's made mistakes. But yeah. uh, to me, that's still the most recognize recognizable oh. name in the history of wrestling. Handstand. Yeah.
0: yeah, I agree. You
1: no, know, Stone well, Cold is probably pretty close up there too. Yeah. And Flair, of course, somehow yeah. Flair has become a cultural icon. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'll tell you one more thing. Uh, I think another piece that's missing in the wrestling business is managers. And I don't mean just standing there in the corner. I mean, getting involved, tripping somebody when they're coming across the ring and into the ropes, you know, like Bobby Heenan, Jimmy Hart, Mr. Fuji. I could go on that did that stuff. You know, they put their cane out or whatever it was and and trip them or get up there and blow something in their face or throw an object into the, the ring for the guy to hit the other guy with that is such it's non-existent now paul Heyman sits stands in the corner and makes facial gestures and that's about it he's the last one left
1: he's the last one left
0: you You don't see anybody else anymore and it's a lost art in my opinion
1: it is a lost art and And i and i it's not just your opinion it's fact yeah reason being is um You know, back then, managers helped make superstars. Yeah, They helped cover for some of the ones that can't talk. Mm -hmm. Instead of writing lines on a teleprompter that somebody could read, you had people talk for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, that's still way more genuine than reading a teleprompter. You know, for years, not so much recently, but for years, that was my problem with Roman Reigns. I felt like everything he was doing when he was reading somebody else's words,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: whereas opposed... Like you you put these managers with somebody and they were game changers back then. You know, it didn't yeah, matter yeah. if it was Bobby Heenan or, or even somebody like Slick or you know, like uh like Jim Cornette, just yeah. so many so many pieces. So these managers enhanced so many people, you know, even Paul E, whenever, you know, whenever he was like old school Paulie.
0: Yep, Paulie Dangerously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, you know, even when Sonny came along, you know, the, the evolution of the manager, it was such an important part. And now it's just miraculously gone.
2: Yeah. And, it, least, and yeah. it is mind blowing.
1: It's a big problem. Wrestling. Yeah. It's big problem. You know, AEW tries to have that, but it's just not the same feel for me. Bro. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I like Tully. Uh, Arn doesn't make a lot of, uh, it just Arn doesn't really do much for me. You know, yeah. and I'm not knocking, but, you know, like, I like what Tully's doing there, but it, it's just a lost heart, man. Yeah. You know, there's just something about those characters, yeah. you know, like the Jimmy Hearts and stuff like that. I mean, there's yeah. something about them. You know, they they made even J.J. J. Dillon, people like that, they yeah, made was, these people better.
0: I was going to say, you love to hate him because they made you so mad and so upset. You wanted to throw something at the TV or something and I was a kid, you know, when J.J. Dillon and all those guys, you know, I bought into it because it was so believable because it came from their heart. You know, they said they didn't have a teleprompter in front of them. They said what was on their mind. They didn't have a script. They didn't have any of that stuff.
1: They were yeah. real characters.
0: They were real. Okay. They came out. They did their job. They didn't read a teleprompter. They promoted their guys. And they you did know, a great job I, at
2: it.
1: The first time I worked with meme Gene. You know, uh, man, that was high on my bucket list. Gene was, uh, oh, man. Gene was amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Out, you know, up there with Jim Ross, Gene did more for me than anybody. And he believed in me. And uh, I remember the first time he worked for me. You know, I told him, just come in and do this. It was the Oklahomaania 2 show. And I said, just come in and do this appearance and do a couple of interviews. So he does the appearance and he's like, he's like, all right. He's like, so uh, what do you want me to do? And I was like, go do your thing. And he was like, you're not going to tell me what to do. I said, Gene, I said, there's a whole locker room full of people back there. You probably haven't seen or worked with in a while. I'm not going to tell you how to do your job because you're the greatest of all time. Just go do a couple and we're good. He ended up doing, I think five. (laughs) Wow. And, uh, you know, I remember the next week we had the show and, uh, Eric, that was show sure Eric Bischoff was on. It was me, Eric, and, and Gene. We're sitting at the bar having some drinks, and Gene was like, "You're not going to believe it, Eric. It's like the good old days working here." He's like, "You know, he he just told me to go do what I wanted, you know." And, and Gene was, I mean, he made that magic on his own. Whenever we first started doing TV, Gene was a late fill-in for our first uh, for our first TV episode. And, you know, TV's a different game because whenever you're under contract with WWE, they can't appear on TV. Even if it's Legends deals, most of them can't appear on TV. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, so Gene's sitting down there waiting, whatever, and he's like, Jerry, what am I doing? I'm like, you can't do anything, remember? And he's like, I'm here to help you. I said, I appreciate that, but you can't – I can't get in trouble with them again. And he's yeah. like, he's like, <laughs> if we get in trouble, I'll take the heat for it. I'm going to do my job. I'll talk to you later. And he just walked out and went. And he went up there and just did his job and was so amazing. And, you know, that's the difference I think in in that era and this era. You know, you look at even the Von Erics work, you know, they weren't five star workers in the ring. They weren't five star promos, but you believed in them. Yeah. You believed in them. And in believing, in a product is one of the most important aspects to it. It doesn't matter if it's perfect, you know, what matters is it's from the heart. Yeah. And and I think that was the massive appeal of the Bon Aries where, you know, at one point they were that family that you wish you had, Yeah, (laughs) you know, that's how it appeared. And they they were really good at that. And people don't understand, you know, a lot of the younger people, they don't understand how important world class was to wrestling. They don't understand that world class were the first people to do modern day vignettes. They don't understand world class were were the first uh, people to do multiple camera angles. They don't understand world class were the first people to mic a wrestling. They don't understand world class was the first people to have syndication overseas. They don't understand world class was the largest house ever at the Cotton Bowl until WWE eventually broke that record. They don't understand just how important to wrestling history world-class was and for those of you watching and listening that uh, that aren't aware uh, you can actually get on youtube and watch heroes of world-class which is uh, do not watch the wwe documentary as with any other thing they do Um, that's just wwe's version of history not real history (laughs)
2: Mm.
1: but um, the heroes of world-class it's free it's on youtube and i promise you it'll be one of the best wrestling documentaries you ever watch. All right. And I had nothing to do with it. So. <laughs> You're
0: just promoting it. Okay. It,
1: it's really good. You know, I actually, um, my company also has college interns, like credited college interns. Oh,
0: that's great. And
1: um, whenever I would get any intern that, that wasn't really familiar with the wrestling business, that would be part of their work,
0: was you had to watch the documentary. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to have to close it here. i talk a long time no no you've done great no i really appreciate it um i know you talked earlier there's an important game on here Uh, i'm still watching it okay (laughs) lakers
1: and the celtics the most historic rivalry in the nwa Uh, or the nwa uh, nba
0: nba yes mr jerry bosick thank you so much for coming on tonight i really appreciate it all your insight and knowledge um and, folks, if you uh, get on social media, look for Jerry's Facebook page. work for the world-class Facebook page. They're all over social media. Like them. Subscribe to them. And same with us. If you're listening, please subscribe. If you're a first-time listener, let us know how we are. Uh, there's feedback. There's all social media. I appreciate it. Again, Mr. Jerry Bostic, CEO and founder of World Class uh, Pro Wrestling. Thank you so much for coming on, sir. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Brian. Uh, for world-class guys, check worldclassprowrestling.com, Twitter and Instagram at World Class Rev, Facebook World Class Pro Wrestling. Make sure you subscribe to Brian's podcast as well. Everybody have a good night. Remember, be good to each other. Yeah. Love each other. Listen to people when they talk to you, and yeah. you never know whose day you might make. God bless. everybody.
0: Thank you, sir. God bless. Take care.